0: Hello, and welcome to Transfusions Monthly Podcast. I am your host, Yara Park. In today's episode, we will be speaking with the authors of the article Alternatives to Blood Donor Deferral of Gay, Bisexual, and Other Men Who Have Sex with Men Acceptability of Screening the Sexual Risk Behavior of All Donors. Welcome to Drs. Bill Fisher and Jenny Ha. Thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Fisher, will you please introduce yourself?
1: Hi. uh, I'm Bill Fisher. Uh, I'm a health psychologist, uh, professor emeritus uh, of psychology and obstetrics and gynecology at Western University in London, Canada.
0: Thank you. And Dr. Ha, could you introduce yourself, please?
2: Sure. I'm a sociologist and scientist at Canadian Blood Services uh, in the donation policy and studies group and adjunct professor in the Department of Health Sciences at Carleton University here in Ottawa, Canada.
0: Thank you both. So to start, could you summarize your study for our listeners?
1: Well, if I might, um, this is really a biblical story of a study that begat a study that begat a study. Uh, and then I'm going to turn it over to Jenny uh, uh, for, uh, for her uh, version of events. Uh, a number of years ago, four or five years ago, uh, I teach at the medical school at uh, Western University, one of my students came forward and said, uh, Dr. Fisher, I've just donated blood. And I encountered uh, what can only be described as an appalling and stigmatizing screen for men who have sex with men to be deferred from blood donor donation. And the short version is that the then current uh, donor screening questionnaire uh, asked whether you had syphilis or gonorrhea, asked whether you uh, had been in jail for the past, in the past year, Asked whether you sold sex for money, asked uh, whether you injected illegal drugs, and asked whether you had ever had sex with another man. Uh, And we regarded this as a stigma cluster. And my medical student, uh, uh, Alex Hofkirchner, uh, uh, said, you know, we're conditioning homophobia here. We're pairing all of these stigmatized things with uh, homophobic uh, affect, if you will. Uh, he did the heavy lifting. Uh, we got generous support from the Canadian Blood Services and uh, Health Canada, and we actually did a randomized trial where we had people complete the standard donor questionnaire where MSN behavior, men who have sex with men behavior, was embedded in this cluster of questions about highly stigmatized behavior, or, or we randomized people to fill out an identical donor questionnaire. But we simply moved the uh, MSM screening question to neutral territory. And the short version is, we found two things that were of note. First, we found that in terms of an implicit attitude test measuring unconscious bias, people who filled out the then current donor questionnaire indeed uh, were either activating or developing uh, anti-gay bias uh, based upon uh, simply filling out the donor questionnaire then in use. Uh, The second thing we did was a bit of a a guerrilla activity. We also screened the sexual risk behavior of everybody, and we found that a substantial proportion, a non-trivial proportion, I should say, uh, of people who quote-unquote passed the MSN screen uh, were nonetheless engaging in high-risk sexual behavior for HIV transmission. So that rocketed us forward, uh, and uh, uh, we realized that for a variety of reasons, uh, social, cultural, technological, and the results of that study, we are probably migrating to an environment which favors the assessment of every individual's sexual behavior with anybody, uh, because the MSM screen didn't work and it was appalling both optically uh, and empirically. And Jenny got in touch with me and said, you know, let's do some research uh, on alternative approaches and began with uh, a really exceptional qualitative study that begat and provided guidance for a future study. Over to you, Jenny.
2: Thanks, Bill. I thought that the work that he had done was um, really significant um, and would be a really good um, to, um for the two of us to work together to better understand um, donors' views on uh, potential individual sexual behavior-based questions that were under consideration um, by not just CBS but other blood operators around the world. So we put together a funding application um, for a a multi-method, multi-phase research study to um, assess donors' views, understanding, and acceptability of sexual behavior-based questions To begin with an in-depth, exploratory, qualitative phase where we uh, conducted um, uh, where part of the interview was uh, a cognitive interview um, method where we uh, walked through a specific set of questions with each of the uh, participants. And then we had a series of open-ended questions to better understand Um, donors views of comfort discomfort with the questions as well as what they might for those who experience some discomfort what might um, help to mitigate some of that discomfort with the view that the results of the qualitative um, phase would then um, feed into um, the quantitative phase or phase two which is um the, which brings us to the, the article that we're um, discussing today. So I might at that point pass it back over to you, Bill.
1: Okay. Uh, Jenny's research uh, was a, a, an in-depth qualitative study uh, in a diverse small sample that explored people's feelings uh, uh, and beliefs and, you know, and cognitions, About asking uh, individual sexual behavior risk screening questions uh, so we could get a feel for what ideas were at play, what feelings were at play, what beliefs were at play. And uh, in general, uh, uh, and Jen, you can supplement this, uh, please do. In general, we found that people were comfortable uh, with asking such questions. And these were, these were, experienced donors uh, in the Canadian Blood Service. So they they knew that such questions might be asked and they were accustomed to having them asked. Uh, they generally knew why they were asked um, and uh, they were pretty comfortable with them. Uh, some of them uh, believed that uh, uh, perhaps asking individual risk behavior questions was just a, a, a sort of a sideways way of screening out uh, gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men. Uh, And uh, uh, at least one of them uh, was interested in the uh, separate question uh, whether um, uh, permitting all comers to donate based upon uh, their passing an individual risk screen uh, was actually going to be safe. But we gathered these ideas together, uh, Jenny uh, uh, and and, uh, her team, Uh, published them in a qualitative piece in Transfusion. Uh, And uh, we decided to field a quantitative study uh, picking up on the qualitative information that uh, that Jenny had had garnered. Uh, Jenny, do you want to supplement uh, my impressions of your wonderful study uh, before I I go on to the quantitative study?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. So one of the One of the things that we wanted to that we noted in the um, literature was um, there was kind of an a priori assumption that donors would feel um, uncomfortable with sexual behavior um, questions in the um, donor questionnaire. Um, We wanted to explore this a bit further. We wanted to. We we thought you know um, we don't need to start this. Uh, research from the assumption that donors will necessarily feel discomfort. What we want to understand is the full range of comfort and discomfort with these questions and um, why the reasons underlying uh, why they may feel comfort or discomfort. So we went in without a bias towards greater discomfort with these questions. Um, and so, what that um, what we found in uh, kind of approaching the study that way was that um, a lot of donors in fact um, expressed that they didn't necessarily feel um, discomfort with these questions and some of the themes um, that we identified in terms of what might influence comfort and or discomfort really uh, fell along um, a number of personal uh, social and contextual factors so one of them had to do with expectations of donation so uh, if donors uh, expected that they would have to answer personal questions um, then they said you know they, it didn't um, evoke any greater discomfort because they expected to have to answer private questions private uh, personal questions in the donor questionnaire. And in fact, many of them said, you already ask us very explicit sexual behavior questions in the donor questionnaires, and these questions aren't uh, aren't qualitatively different from those um, others.
1: So I, I might pick up from there <clears throat> and uh, talk about our large scale, in uh, some respects, nationally representative sample study, uh, a randomized controlled trial, Uh, working with Taylor Kahoot, who uh, is responsible for some of the more brilliant aspects of this study, we randomized uh, 1,194 current blood donors to one of three conditions. Uh, Some of them, a third of them, uh, simply uh, were contacted uh, online and agreed to complete uh, what emerged as uh, the current Uh, uh, blood donor questionnaire then in use uh, with the men who have sex with men screening item that uh, we alluded to earlier. Uh, Another third of them uh, were randomized to complete uh, a modified donor questionnaire, uh, which asked whether uh, the individual had had anal intercourse. uh, And anyone saying yes was then asked, uh, have you had anal intercourse and sex with multiple partners? And the third group of individuals uh, were randomized to a modified uh, donor questionnaire that asked those two donor questions uh, with respect to new sexual partner and uh, anal uh, sex and a new sexual partner, and provided brief uh, explanatory or mitigating information, uh, a line or two uh, embedded uh, adjacent to the question, uh, explaining why we had asked the questions. Uh, the results were pretty unequivocal. Uh, uh, The top-line result is that uh, uh, individuals responding to either the then-existing blood donor questionnaire or the modified questionnaire or the modified questionnaire with uh, uh, mitigating information, all of them felt uh, that the questionnaire wasn't very difficult. They were comfortable responding. It was acceptable uh, and justified. Uh, They knew why. Uh, the questions were asked writ large. Uh, When we did uh, more focused analyses, uh, we found that uh, 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 the very brief explanation uh, embedded uh, adjacent to the question was somewhat helpful uh, in making people feel uh, that the items uh, were a little more justified. Uh, Finally, uh, we had asked everybody whether... Uh, If the questionnaire uh, that they had completed, either the existing one, uh, the one with the question about a new partner and anal sex with a new partner, or the modified one with uh, questions about a new partner, anal sex with a new partner, uh, et cetera, and mitigation information, uh, would this prevent you uh, from donating? Uh, And very, very, very few people uh, under 2% in any condition, said, you know, this was so off-putting, I wouldn't donate again. Uh, so the take-home message uh, really uh, was that uh, uh, no, in no case were the new questions about uh, a new partner, anal sex with a new partner, etc. cetera, in no case were they uh, any more uh, off-putting, shall I say, uh, than the existing questionnaire, which was reassuring information Uh, In no case was it uh, any more uh, likely to provoke uh, a sentiment, I'm not going to donate again, uh, compared to the uh, original questionnaire. There was some evidence that a little bit of explanation that really occupied a a sentence or two uh, was helpful. And it also lit a fire under us to go forward because there are two questions that we very much still want the answer to. First, first... Uh, we have the question of whether new donors who have no experience uh, with the donor questionnaire uh, and no identity as blood donors uh, would react to the question uh, the donor questionnaire uh, with the high degree of equanimity and acceptance uh, that everybody else seemed to uh, uh, seem to have and the second question is as uh, health canada and uh, the canadian blood service have now dropped Uh, any MSM deferral uh, in favor of individual sexual behavior risk deferral, we're very interested in how um, uh, gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men uh, might respond to uh, the uh, existing questionnaire, uh, which is modified and does ask uh, about uh, anal, anal sexual activity.
0: That was a wonderful explanation of how you started and how you got here. So I have to ask a background question. So Bill, before this student asked you the question, were you involved with blood banking, transfusion medicine at all?
1: Um, I was involved in two ways, uh, neither of them direct. Uh, I have been conducting NIH-supported research on HIV risk behavior uh, for 30 years, uh, and um, I was veteran enough to have been uh, working with many of the people who unfortunately were involved in the Canadian, quote-unquote, blood scandal, uh, where in the early 80s, inadvertent transmission of HIV was was a fact. Uh, the uh, other piece is uh, my wife is an inveterate blood donor uh, who's donated 95 times, and I am an inveterate sissy uh, who's never donated.
0: Well, thank your wife for us. We appreciate all those donations, for sure.
1: It was really the... Um, the gutsy second year medical student who's now a psychiatry resident who came up and said, we've got to do something. Uh, You know, from an optics perspective, this is appalling. And I bet, I bet from an empirical perspective, we we're generating homophobia and that's where this story really starts.
0: So are you still using MSM questions or is it um, more individual risk assessment?
2: No, we, we moved to an individual risk assessment um, approach
0: it's very rare that I laugh out loud when I'm reading a manuscript from a medical journal, but when I got to the part that 1.92% of participants who got the original what was currently being used donor questionnaire said that this would prevent them from donating, I laughed. So, do you think people just didn't read the questions well? I was, how did they, that happen?
1: Yeah, my my guess is that uh, there was a, an ambient level of inattention. Uh, the people didn't read the question properly because these were uh, all people who had donated before. Uh, it's also possible that, you know, we had uh, a few individuals who donated once or twice uh, relatively uh, distant past and simply didn't remember the nature of the donor questionnaire.
2: If I could just add a couple of thoughts there. I, I think it also may speak to, I, I think it suggests that it's difficult Maybe be difficult to interpret some of the other surveys that demonstrate that, you know, some small percentage of donors may um, stop donating because of the, um, the you know, sexual behavior questions that were being kind of tested to see how donors might respond. Um, I, I, I think that there is some discomfort that that donors might experience with the current donor questionnaire, even, you know, the, the when the MSM questions were in place, um, and that level of discomfort wasn't actually being captured, I I think, in any of the the surveys. So just getting back to the question about the sexual behavior-based eligibility questions, so the current questions in place are, um, have you had, so all donors are asked if they've had a new and or multiple sexual partners in the last three months, Um, and if they answer yes to either, they are then asked if they've had anal sex with any of these partners. So uh, there's a follow-up question if they've had anal sex with any of these partners. So it's the same model as um, that they've implemented in the
0: UK.
1: Gotcha. And those questions are similar to, but not identical to, the ones uh, that were uh, tested in our uh, randomized controlled study.
0: So do you think the donor questionnaire with the mitigation, so the modified questionnaire with the mitigation that explained why you were asking, do you think the burden of the extra reading the donor has to do justifies the increased comfort? Or do you think this is something that maybe should just be done for the first-time donors and then not require the mitigation for the next subsequent donations?
1: That's that's an interesting question. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are really two things going on here one is we're um, uh, explaining to the individual donor why we're asking questions of this nature um, uh, in the mm-hmm. moment uh, and that may be helpful and we have evidence that it is a bit helpful. Uh, the other thing we're doing is we're, we're uh, uh, engaging in an educational activity uh, that across time I think may elevate awareness uh, quite generally not only in individual donors um, my you know intuition is that, Literally, the two to three sentences uh, of mitigating information adjacent to the questions uh, are probably worth worth maintaining uh, for all donors. Uh, Not everyone's going to remember it. Um, The questions may change over time. The mitigation may change over time. And it's very, very little um, investment in time uh, that goes on. Um, I would also say that positioning it adjacent to the questions uh, that are being asked uh, may be of value, uh, because if it is positioned, if the explanatory material is positioned in a lengthy, uh, um sort of run-up to the whole questionnaire, uh, people may gloss over it. They may not connect it to the questions. They may just not read it.
0: So now that it's gender neutral, what is the utility of still collecting information about sex assigned at birth and current gender? Is it used for trolley mitigation, um, hemoglobin thresholds, uh, for example, or is it just collected for demographic reasons?
2: That's a very good question. I think that it continues to be collected. So I I would say that um, there's some work exploring, um, you know, gender um, and gender diversity in uh, the blood systems, and um, the purpose for collecting uh, sex assigned at birth and gender for a donor. Mm -hmm. So currently, um, uh, maybe I should clarify that with the change to um, the individual sexual behavior based questions, there were also some changes made to how we screen trans donors. Uh, So prior to the change to individual sexual behavior-based screening, um, if a a donor self-identified as trans, um, then they were asked several follow-up questions that would determine whether or not they were registered in the sex that was assigned to them at birth or their gender. But with the change to um, the individual sexual behavior-based approach, Um, And, uh, you know, the the gender of your partner no longer being significant in the screening process. Um, The trans donor screening criteria was also changed. So all donors are registered in their self-disclosed gender within the binary system of male-female only. So we don't have um, non-binary options yet uh, in the IT system here. Um, so, sex. So the gender of donors continues to be used to assess for trolley risk, to be um, to determine inter-donation period. So here in Canada, donors registered as male can donate every 56 days. Donors registered as female can donate every 84 days. Um, it's also used to determine minimum hemoglobin levels. They're different for donors registered as male versus donors registered as female. Uh, But I would say um, that's a really important area of um, research that is happening now. And I think that additional research, ongoing research, is really important in this area um, to ensure that, um, you know, with um, a more individual sexual behavior-based reading approach, increasing um, recognition of gender diversity in our donor population and in the general uh, population. Um, It's important to ensure that our screening processes and practices are as inclusive as possible for donors of all genders and to ensure that we're collecting the um, uh, absolutely necessary information to ensure uh, recipient safety, donor safety, Um, while being as inclusive as possible. So I think um, it's kind of a long answer to your question, um, but I think that um, there is ongoing research to look at um, how to increase gender diversity and to be more inclusive of gender diverse donors in the donor system and to ensure that what we're collecting from donors in terms of gender and sex assigned at birth um, is... um, being collected uh, safely and to and used um, in very clear and and uh, direct ways.
1: Yeah, I would I would add um, from the peanut gallery a, a thought or two. Uh, sex assigned at birth, as as noted by both of you, uh, may have medical significance uh, and probably will need to be retained. You know, over time. Uh, sex, uh, uh, you know, uh, gender identity uh, is a very, very important uh, self-designation that needs to be represented and respected uh, in an era of gender diversity and understanding that there's a difference between biologic sex uh, and gender identity. And this actually may be a place where uh, mitigation may be helpful uh, because uh, uh, in uh, the gender diverse world, Uh, there are very legitimate questions about why are you even asking about my sex assigned at birth? We may need to explain that.
0: That's a really good point. Were you able to compare the comfort level and acceptability of the three different donor questionnaires based on uh, where the donor lived, uh, urban versus rural, or the donor's age? Were there differences there?
1: My recollection in sub-analyses was that, uh, Older donors, uh, uh, Jenny, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is an old conversation. I think older donors were actually a little more comfortable um, with things, but that uh, may represent a a sort of the co-variation of, I'm an older donor, I've donated a lot before. uh, And, you know, this is, this is passe. Um, I think our general finding was that uh, levels of comfort, acceptability, perceived justification uh, were, were very, very robust. And, you know, it, it, it might be of, of sort of theoretical uh, and statistical significance, but not of much practical significance to parse people at the very bottom of the scale or at the top of the scale.
0: So um, what was the hardest part of the study?
1: I think the, uh, quantitative, study, the quantitative study was massive. Um, and anytime you undertake a quota sample, Study like this, where you have to regulate the gates open to different people in different provinces and different, you know, at, at different times. Uh, and our our colleague, our uh, um, IT and uh, research methodology czar Taylor Kahoot did did a wonderful job on this. Uh, so the uh, uh, the burden fell on him. Uh, and then the research ethics boards, as Jenny can concur, uh, again research ethics boards, IRBs as we call them in the United States are critically important and indispensable, but uh, they take time. And we had both university ethics boards and Canadian blood service ethics boards involved. So that process can be ponderous.
0: My last question, your group has done amazing work and I loved the story of how it started to where we are now. What's next for your group?
2: Bill, do you wanna get us started?
1: I think that uh, our immediate goal is um, is to um, do some uh, very focused research and compare the acceptability uh, and, uh, and comfort level and perceived justification uh, and intentions to continue donating of brand new donors, zero donor history uh, with those of more experienced donors. So we are in the process of uh, creating uh, research to address specifically that question. Uh, A second um, nested objective uh, is to look at the association uh, between uh, donors' intentions to return to donate uh, and their actual behavior and critically um, at uh, amenable to change factors that may perturb the relationship between I intend to return and I, I've actually returned to equip us to support people who intend to come back to actually realize their intention.
2: I might maybe just uh, uh, add a bit to that. So we're gonna focus this time on in-center recruitment. And so while uh, we're aiming to um, recruit donors, new donors, so first-time donors, as well as return donors, um, in three specific cities um, in Canada, um, really to assess their um, the acceptability, justification, uh, the effect of the donor questionnaire on donors immediately following completion of the donor questionnaire within the context of donation itself. So not separate from the donation experience, but within the phenomenological Um, experience of actually going to donate. So um, we'll assess their view, the intention to donate and their views on the donor questionnaire immediately following um, completion of the donor questionnaire in the donor center. And then we'll have a second survey um, immediately following the donation process um, again to um, assess intention to donate. Um, to assess if there's any impact on the donation experience on donors um, and their intention to donate. And then, as Bill said, we'll do a follow-up to to, um, assess intention to donate with actual behavior and return to donate.
0: That's amazing. You all have been doing a lot of great work. And that's our show. Thank you to Dr. Fisher and Dr. Ha for joining us for a really great discussion. This has been Yara Park for Transfusion's monthly podcast. See you next time.